What's going on, everybody? I'm Jeff St. Pierre, and this is episode 105 of the Adult Education Podcast. This week, I'm speaking with country artist Adam Doliak. Thank you so much for checking out my show today. I really just appreciate you taking some time out of your day to listen to adult education. This show is all about learning new things or maybe learning more about something. I speak with experts across all fields to learn more about health, education, technology, mental health, and really just about anything that I find interesting. If you'd like to support adult education, really the best way to do that is to leave a five-star rating on whatever platform you're listening on. And if you like what you hear, please share it with your friends. Word of mouth can really be a great way to inspire new people to check out the show. For those of you listening here who don't know me from anything other than this podcast, well, hi, my name is Jeff St. Pierre. Uh, My day job, though, is as a morning radio host on a country music station. Through that job, I've been able to meet a lot of cool artists over the years, and I've kind of shied away from having them as guests because... I don't know. I just had this weird feeling about asking like friends and acquaintances of mine for their time. But I'm starting to finally break out of that. And uh, this week I got in touch with Adam Doliak. He'd be considered a new artist in the country music world, but he's been in Nashville working hard for really the last decade. What I loved about this conversation is how honest he was. Sometimes I find that artists country music artists in particular can be very rehearsed. Like it sounds sometimes like they're too worried about saying the wrong thing. Adam did not have that problem at all. And I appreciate that. He was very open and honest about his life growing up in Mississippi, how playing baseball kind of ended up leading him to his music career. And we dove into a little rabbit hole about the current state of the music industry. So I really do hope you enjoy my conversation with Adam Doliak. What up, bro? How are you? I'm good. I'm trying to get my uh airpods to work but they don't seem like they want to give me one second there it is okay what's up brother how you doing perfect good man good how are you i'm doing good just got back from the gym okay protein shake still going down you know? there you go looks like uh blueberries in there somewhere blueberries peanut butter powder protein banana call it a day there you go there you go uh how's wedding planning going i hear that's coming up sometime soon it is we are getting very close to it um the stock answer would be good, but really it has not been great. Um, we ended up having to fire a wedding planner like two weeks ago. So after we did that, we kind of started looking into what she had been doing or the lack of what she had been doing. And like none of our rentals were booked and it just so much has not had not been done. But luckily we're back on track now. It's all going to be fine. But it was a couple of weeks that we were like, oh, shit. <laughs> are you guys doing all the like traditional wedding stuff or are you doing something kind of funky for yourselves? We're doing like we're, we're getting married down in Florida. So it's uh, going to be a little we wanted to do it a little smaller than what we would have had to do in Nashville or Mississippi, where I'm from. Or she's actually from Nashville, too. So we wanted to do like 150, 200 people. We have like 100 in family. Mm-hmm. So it's it's going to be pretty small. And um we love that 30a area down there so we're going to kind of go down there and spend a week before the wedding and then i think we're headed off to hawaii for the honeymoon so nice it's gonna gonna be a good time well i'm excited for you guys i got married uh just uh almost three years ago now and uh just such a fun day so i hope you guys have a, a great day coming your way too well thanks man we're excited about it you should be um, Adam, let's uh let's go back in time a little bit because you mentioned you're from Mississippi. I want to hear a little bit about what growing up in Mississippi was all about for you. Well, you know what? It was it was uh kind of exactly what I think people would think of as Mississippi. It was a very small town. This was back Hattiesburg, Mississippi was 
like 30,000 people, 40,000 people before Hurricane Katrina happened. And then once Katrina happened, it it's like tripled, maybe quadrupled in size now. Everybody from the coast moved up there. But I feel like my generation was the last generation to grow up outside. Like all of my memories from my childhood were building forts in the woods and going outside and skateboarding and rollerblading. And I played every sport uh, probably until the age I was like 10 to 12 years old. So like most of my memories are me playing some type of sport, my little brother there, my mom and dad never missed a game, no matter what it was. Um, and that's kind of what I feel like I got the most out of my childhood was my parents. Um, they just were, you know, great. That, that, that's like, I wrote a song called mom and daddy's money about them. And it's, it's very much about growing up and maybe the most like personal song I've put out as far as growing up in childhood and where I'm from, because it just, you know, that period of my life was, I would not be who or where I am today without that. I, I think I know that for sure. So um, it was a lot of that. And then, you know, as, as high school came along, like a lot more uh, interesting girls slash sneaking out to see girls started happening. And, <laughs> you know, a lot of that stuff too. But I, I had a really great childhood and, and uh, I still love, you know, everybody in my family is still there. And my, my dad, this is the most Mississippi thing you've ever heard. This is my dad's side of the family. Larry, Barry, Perry, Ronnie, and Donnie. That's that's wow. my dad and his brothers. That's her. That's their names. My my grandmother wanted a girl, and continued to try to have a girl, and just kept having boy after boy. And I guess she just wanted all their names to rhyme. So that's that's where it ended up. <laughs> oh, my family's all J's. It's Jeff, Jackie, and Joey in my family. So yeah. So I, I feel yeah. I feel a little I mean, bit like of that pain. One letter is normal. <laughs> yeah. One one letter is normal, but the whole thing is just like I tell people that they're like what. <laughs> You know, it's funny you talk about being one of the last generations to grow up outside, too, because I think you're right. Uh, but my daughter, she's almost two years old, and one of the first words that she successfully learned is shoes. And she'll just walk up to me and be like, shoes? And that's her way of saying she wants to go outside. And she wants to be outside 24 hours a day. And I just think it's so refreshing that this little girl who already knows how to use the iPad better than I do at almost two years old, she just wants to be outside playing with rocks and going on her slide and chasing her dog. Like, it's the best thing ever that she wants to do that. Yeah, I would say that's really good news for you. That's that's awesome. I feel like so much is inside on i mean i guess the video game world is super huge now sure um where you can kind of do anything virtually from couch you know that's kind of where the metaverse i guess that's where yeah. everything's headed i i wrote a song about it today we, we literally wrote a song today called uh weird time to be alive because okay. we, we were all just sitting around and we were like it is a really weird time to be alive like it, the whole point is like I think it's good that some things change, but I think it would also be good if a few things stayed the same too, you know? And so it's, it's, it's crazy to watch, but yeah, it is, it is good. And, uh, I'm happy. I'm happy that she wants to go outside all the time. That seems like a good problem to have. Uh, it definitely is. Uh, so, Adam, uh, going back to to your outdoors, if you will, you're a big athlete. You played baseball, which I want to talk about in a second too. Uh, but was music always a part of your life, or did that come into your life later? It was always a part of my life, just in the the fact that I loved music. Um, like my dad played drums until he was like 16 or 17. Apparently my dad, like I found a picture of my dad's band a few years back and I legitimately thought it was the Beatles. I thought it was a photo of the Beatles. That was kind of <laughs> like what they looked like. They had the, they were, they were called the prophets and apparently they were really good. And they did this thing that was kind of genius. They rented a warehouse and they would just, 
they had their own warehouse. They would play there every Friday and Saturday night and they would just charge a cover and people would just come. And it was this every week thing and they had a really good band. Apparently they were actually very good. Unfortunately, there's no tapes or anything I can listen to to see how good. So there's no proof. Always, there's no proof. <laughs> there's no proof. So I always want to tell my dad, like, I've been playing the drums since I was two years old, you know? So drums are my first love. Still to this day, probably my favorite instrument. Love playing them. But I can never, I can never say like, hey, dad, I'm a much better drummer than you because I don't have any proof of what he was actually doing. So, um, but a lot of, a lot of my music kind of came from him. I, I feel like the first record I really remember was Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band, nice. uh, the greatest hits album. And that was, my dad just had a bunch of old records and that's what we listened to that and the Eagles and stuff like that. Um, saxophone is my favorite instrument because of that record. Um, Turn the Page had saxophone on it. And then there was another song called In Your Time that had an actual saxophone solo on it. And yeah, I don't know why, just, it's always been my favorite instrument. I will never learn to play the saxophone. I don't want to learn to play the saxophone. <laughs> And people are like, why not? I'm like, because I know myself and I don't want to be comparing my abilities with, I just want to be impressed with anybody I, I hear playing the saxophone. That's a, that, I don't want to, I don't want to have to be like, I'm better than you. You're better than me. I just want to be, that's my favorite sound on earth. <laughs> I got a lot from that. And then I didn't start singing or playing guitar until probably my junior year of college. Okay. Um, and that's just because all of my, uh, my teammates on the baseball team all play guitar. So I had a drum set set up in the house. We kind of had like a band, baseball band situation going on. Uh, but I kind of started noodling around the guitar. So I was probably 20 years old or so, something like that. And they were actually the ones that booked my first shows for me because they heard me singing around the house and they were like, you have a cool voice. You should sing. I'm like, absolutely not. I'm terrified <laughs> to sing in front of anybody. <laughs> Why would I do that? um and so they went and booked me like three shows and they said well now you have to show up and sing get over it and i did and had a blast fell in love with it and it just kind of uh jumped into the music world after that so i do want to ask you one thing about drumming because i heard a rumor that you were the drummer in a band with jameson rogers is that true that is a true rumor all right i, I need to know more about this so i know jameson's from down that way too did you guys grow up close to each other no he's a uh, northern mississippi okay. So there's a guy named Brian Dozier who went on to play in the major leagues for the twins for several years. That yeah, uh, name sounds familiar. Yeah. 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 He, he just retired a couple of years ago. Um, but anyway, him, Jameson and Brian Dozier were good buddies, both from North Mississippi. I played with Brian three years at Southern Miss. So me and Dozier were good buddies as well. So the last, I think Jamo played junior college baseball. And then for his last year, of college came to Southern Miss to finish out schooling. And when he did, we did, we formed a band. The band was called Silky Smooth. Nice. Uh, which I say the only thing worse than the band name would have been the music we played most likely. It was pretty bad. <laughs> we were, I mean, I think I, this was well before I ever thought about writing a song. I think Jameson maybe had two or three originals that we would play, but it was me drumming, Jameson playing guitar and singing. Brian Dozier played guitar. Um, and then we had a, a kid named Matthew Gilliam, who I knew from high school, kind of like an emo kid playing bass. Okay. And then my older brother, David, was like, we, I would not play a gig without David because he played harmonica, which was the only instrument that 
had any chance of showing off in the band. <laughs> like, we like he played a harmonica solo on every song, which looking back now, I'm like, that is definitely too much harmonica. <laughs> but we played uh we only played three shows lifetime. We played three shows in Hattiesburg. Pretty sure they all sold out and we retired. That was it. I was doing a little podcast thing with Jameson a couple of years during during the pandemic and he actually showed up we had merchandise uh awesome. that said silky smooth on it and he showed up in the original shirt which we also did that wrong because we only made normally you make merchandise to sell to fans sure but we made we made merchandise for ourselves to wear on stage so like the shirts the shirt said silky smooth and like i think his said rogers on the back mine said drummer on the back or something like that and we actually played in these shirts. We didn't actually, no one could buy them. We just played in them, which was, who knows what we were thinking. I, I don't know. <laughs> you know, there, there's nothing wrong with wearing your own merch. I remember going to a show a few years back with uh, Dan and Shay and, uh, Dan grabbed a hat, one of their hats they were selling out of their merch booth. He's like, I'm about to sell a thousand of these hats. And he wore it on stage where they performed and people were coming up and buying the hats. So there is nothing wrong with wearing your own merch, but yeah, you got to make enough for the people that are coming to the show. That's that's the key. You have to have more than one of the shirts. That's that's definitely the key. I, I'll do that from time to time too. I'll wear my own merch on stage. I don't think it's weird, but he's right. It does. It helps people see the shirt and go get it. And they want to wear what you're wearing, but yeah, we, we did everything backwards and silky smooth, but we, we've come a long way. It's really funny that me and JMO are on the same label at Sony in yeah. Nashville, you know, 12 years later or whatever it is. It's funny how the world works. And it's crazy to me, too, how many artists played baseball, whether it was in college or had a shot for the majors or or just, you know, tried to do it a lot. Like I know Scotty McCreary. I don't know if he played in college, but uh, he was great in high school, from what I understand. You, Jameson, uh, Brett Young. Another one on there. Mm -hmm. I think Chris Lane played in college too. Like, what what is with baseball and country artists? I just don't really understand the connection. I would well, have already I thought I would have thought football all the time because everybody always talks about football and country. I, I don't know. I would have thought football would have been the thing, but it seems baseball is much more prevalent. Yeah, it does. I guess I've never I've never really equated the sport of baseball to country music, but sporting like just playing sports. Like Sam Hunt played football. Yeah, he came over from football world. But I think it's like, I was listening to a podcast earlier and it was talking about Sean White, the snowboarder. And it was talking to, he was talking about growing up. He actually wanted to be a skateboarder. That's what he really wanted to do. And all of a sudden there was snowboarding. He got over to snowboarding. He was like, holy shit, the board's attached to my feet. This is so much easier than skateboarding. And so like each thing that he would he'd go back to skateboarding and then it just, they kept ramping each other up yeah. to different kind of things he was doing. And I think it's kind of the same thing, at least for me um with baseball and playing division one sport at that level you have to be pretty driven first of all you have to work really really hard and there's a lot of similarities with you know there's always somebody trying to take your spot there's always if you kind of let up somebody's going to beat you and and like also you're playing in front of you know five to ten thousand people per night or 20 depending on where you're at so it's a lot of the same kind of feelings and, and same kind of adrenaline and rush that music is um, and I think for me, the biggest thing was just being in the environment where you've already been tested, which, which was so, it helps so much because you get to Nashville and like, they're going to tell, you no, whether it's songwriters or artists cutting your song or, uh, labels or publishing companies, you're going to get told no. I mean, I don't know, 25 to 50 times a day. It's just sure. kind of normal because what we do is so hard to. Like get, writing a song and having somebody record it and it going number one on the radio is the percentages of that happening are like, I don't know, 3% maybe. 
you know, there's so many songs a day in Nashville. So just the mindset of it all, being able to hear the word no and not give up. And you're just like, all right, I'll, I'll keep going. That was kind of the best thing, I think, for me, because if if I were someone that gave up easy, I'd really doubt I'd still be in Nashville. Mm-hmm. And I really doubt I would have had any success, you know. So that was kind of a big thing for me, just kind of already having that and not being affected by it when I got to Nashville helped a lot because I've seen especially in the last couple of years like the pandemic happening and stuff we've lost a lot of people you know a lot of people sure. packed it up and went home um and I get it it would be easy to do I've thought about doing it myself you know what I mean but it's it's coming from that world where you don't give up easy that's helped me the most I think I never really thought about it from that perspective like as an athlete you're right like you're already out there playing in front of people trying to do your best you're essentially performing I mean you're you're already mm-hmm. out there in front of all these fans performing even though it's not the same kind of performance it, it really has a similar feeling I'm sure like you got to shake out those nerves when you get on the field and you were playing in the college world series that's a whole nother you know set of nerves like it's the big time that's the big stage so jumping out yeah I'm sure it's different but you've already had an experience like that when you're stepping on stage with your guitar and the spotlight comes on you. It's like, man, I play under lights all the time. Yeah, for sure. And I think it is a little, it's a different kind of performing, but it's a little bit the same. And like I put out my first album and we're about to do our own headlining tour, which is really exciting. But up until now, it's been a lot of, you know, opening shows like we were out with Zach Brown band uh, during 2021. And so it is a lot of like, you have to go out there and you kind of assume some people know who you are, obviously, but they're there to see Zach Brown. So you, you have to win them all over every, every night you go out there. So you, you can't go out there. It's a little, it's a little bit like baseball in that way. Like the fans, they may know you on the baseball team, but if you're not doing good, they're like not going to be on your team pretty much immediately. So it's that way with the music too. You have to go out every night. You can't assume that you've already, you can't act like you did it the night before. It's a whole new crowd, whole new city, whatever it is. And you have to go out and win them over, which is kind of what, you know, look at anybody's favorite team on a, on a, on the Atlanta Braves or favorite player on the Braves is. I guarantee you they've been playing really well. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it all kind of goes hand in hand like that. So that's, you know, the, the art of winning people over or working a room or working a stadium or whatever it might be, I think is pretty important too. I, I saw uh, Cody Johnson was doing, an interview or somebody asked him they were about to go do their first like arena tour. And they were like, what do you have any advice uh, on how, you know, before I go out there and play the show. And I think he said something like, uh, go spend 10 years in a bar playing for 15 people. And then he goes, you can't, if you can't entertain 15 people in a bar, you have no chance of an arena or whatever. And I thought that was pretty cool. And so I have a lot of years of playing shows under my belt and also a lot of years of playing in, baseball games and whatever it might be under my belt too. So they all kind of come together in this cool way to uh, I can use on stage every night. What I do appreciate it. I feel like there's been a shift in Nashville over the last, we'll say five years or so where a lot of artists like yourself that were kind of cutting your teeth in bars and clubs are getting an opportunity to get on a bigger stage. You're getting the the record deals. You're getting to put the albums out and go on headlining tours. Whereas before that, I felt like there were a lot of, I don't want to say like, produced artists, but I felt like there were a lot of artists that didn't have that experience. Super talented, great voices, great writing, but they never played anywhere. They just went to Nashville, Mm -hmm. they wrote, and they went into a studio and recorded. And then you would see them get on stage and be like, wow, you have no business being here right now. You know, there's still a lot to learn. So there is something to be said about doing that club circuit. And maybe it takes you a little bit longer to break through to the big time, if you will, but you're ready when you get there. Like you're ready to hit the ground running when you get to that point. Right. 
Yeah, I'm I'm always going to be team cut your teeth and put the work in, put the time in. Just because you could you can't see through. You know, I think I don't, God knows how many people were signed over the quarantine off of TikTok. Sure. The thing about that is, like, these people had never played a show. They had never really been through like tough grinding weekends on the road, or you know, really had to put any effort into it. And so, what happened was, we had people like getting half a million, million dollar deals off of just putting their phone down and looking at it and lip syncing something and the numbers being so high they got signed. But what's happened is, you know, that was during a point where you couldn't go to a radio station and play a show for them. You couldn't go and actually sing in person for them. You couldn't play shows on the road. So there was nothing to compare it to for those couple of years. And now you're seeing a lot of that just kind of fizzle out. It's sure there's a couple that are going to stick around, but most of them are fizzling out because they realize oh yeah, this actually does take a ton of work yeah. and you have to really get out there and play the shows and not everything's going to go great. And people are going to be able to see that maybe I don't sing quite as well live or I don't know how to play four shows in a row and not have my voice gone by the end of the weekend. You know, there's a lot that goes into it that you have to learn and there's only one way to learn it, which is by doing it. Mm -hmm. So if you, if you don't have the thing where you really want to work hard, then you kind of get screwed because you got discovered in a period where you didn't have to leave your house. and now. <laughs> to keep going, you have to actually get out there and do it. Whereas I, I do feel like you could look at it. You could look at some of these people and be like, I could be like, wow, I've been playing shows for 10 years and this person put their phone down and all of a sudden they're kind of like all the way where I'm at immediately. But I, I just always going to be team put the work in and kind of figure out who you are and how, what, what you do good. You know, that's, that's, I, I think that's the best way to be in it. I think it's everything that happens is so much more kind of rewarding knowing that the work that you put into it, at least for me. So to each their own, there's no wrong way to do it these days. There's a lot of, there's probably never been a better time to be an independent artist right now, mm -hmm. just because, you know, there's so many avenues you can, like you were just saying, if, if, if you've got a great voice and you feel like you haven't been discovered, well, turn your phone around, sing into it once a day for a few weeks and somebody's probably going to notice, you know what I mean? So it's, it's a good, it's a, it's a weird time to be alive. <laughs> But, but also, it's also good in a lot of ways. You know, it just, I think there's, everybody's doing it their own way, which is totally cool. Are you feeling any pressure? I've been hearing from a lot of artists and, you know, I know Halsey made a big um, thing about it on social media where it seems like the pressure from the label side of things is like, okay, you've got to create this viral moment or we don't really know what to do with your song. Whereas before it was like, okay, we've got this song. We're going to work it really hard to radio and make a video and do whatever to promote it. Now it's kind of like, all right, if it's not viral, forget it. Yeah, I feel that pressure yeah. big time. Um, I don't know if, if every label is that way, um, but I certainly feel that. I mean, the what's great is using viral moments and using numbers and followers and stuff to your benefit. But what I think is a big problem is labels are losing the ability to hear a song or see an artist play a show wherever it might be on Broadway or somebody opening for somebody else and just go either that's one of the best songs I've ever heard and just believe in it. Or that's one of the best voices I've ever heard and just sign them and believe in it and make it work. There's, if there's a combination of that and the numbers side of things, I think it'd be better, but it is getting to the point where somebody would hear the best song they've ever heard mm -hmm. or hear the best voice I've ever heard and then go, well, that's cool, but let me go see if they have TikTok followers yet. Right. 
And then if they don't have them, then it's like, ah, oh, well, instead of just hearing something and believing in it, hearing a song and believing in it and, and backing it until it works. That's kind of, that's what's scary to me is it feels like the ability to do that is kind of going away a little bit and it's leaning really, really hard on who's going to go viral, you know? That is a, it's a very interesting time. Like you said, it's weird. It's interesting. It can be scary, but it is a very interesting time to be in the music industry right now to see how this is all going to take shape over the next few years and where it's going to go for sure. Um, I know right. you, you mentioned that when you were playing baseball, it's when you started trying to write songs, you tried to, you were singing, you were playing the guitar and your teammates actually signed you up to do some shows. What point was it for you where you were like, all right, this could be a career. Like this could be for me. I want to pack it up. I want to move to Nashville. At what point did you have that decision in your mind? Um, it was at least the loving it part of it was pretty immediate. I remember the first show it sold out and not because I was good at music, but because people knew me from baseball sure. <laughs> and I'd never played a show before. And it's my hometown. And so, yeah, people show up and, you know, I made a bunch of money and tips and had a great time and it was, you know, it was really fun. And then, um, so I was kind of hooked on the performing of it pretty quick. And then I kind of got, I was a business major in college. Nice. So I kind of got, even got hooked on this business side of it. Then I went, okay, well I can play in Hattiesburg. And then I kind of started branching out and I would just email a bunch of people in Florida and Alabama, Georgia and Louisiana. And I would just start playing. I was playing like five, six nights a week, mm -hmm. I bet. And making really good money. And I was really enjoying that side of things too. I was, I mean, I was, I bet I played 200 shows a year for a couple of years. Wow. Um, did you make enough merch for uh, people? Yes. I did start making actual <laughs> shirts that people could wear, um, which was key in making some extra money. Um, but I did that. And it, I, I guess it was about the time I made an EP. I made like a six song EP called travel on. And I remember the comment that I kept getting that kind of gave me hope was even if people didn't love it, they were like, you have a really unique voice mm. or you have a really, it was either cool or unique. I kept hearing those two words from the get. And I knew in my business side of my mind, like country music is full of male acts, right? Like there's so many males just trying to make it as an artist. And so I was like, if you're going to make it, you definitely have to have your own sound. You have to sound different and unique. So I kind of grabbed onto that. And when I put that EP out, <clears throat> I remember it went viral, like in, I forget, it was a YouTube and it was like South Africa or something. It was really weird. It went, it went viral somewhere. Like I had never even thought that a song could go viral and some people in Nashville found it. So that's kind of when we were, I was getting invited to come up to Nashville for like four or five days at a time, come write some songs. And I would do that and I would, I would do that for half the month. And then I would go back home and I'd tour the rest of the month, basically, basically. And eventually after probably six to eight months of doing that, I felt like I knew enough people in Nashville to actually move up to Nashville. So i made that move, but still for the first couple of years of living, having an address in Nashville, I was still in the Southeast for two weeks of the month playing and then writing songs in Nashville for two weeks of the month. So kind of paid my bills through the playing. I was writing, didn't have a publishing deal yet. Um, and so that I got my first publishing deal, I think two years after two and a half, three, maybe somewhere around in there after moving to Nashville. And, and when did you, so you're, are you 34 right now? Yeah. When mm -hmm. did you move to Nashville? Shoot that October of 2012, which we're I, actually, I'm probably like right at my 10 year anniversary yeah, wow. right now. 
Yeah. They say it's a 10 year town. You hate for them to be right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like you've at least started to break through prior to, t- I mean, you've got your, your debut yeah. album here, yeah. but like you've been doing stuff. I mean, you've had songs on the radio. You've had some things work. I know Sirius has been really behind you guys. Sirius XM has been really behind you and your yeah. band. So, I mean, you've definitely had some no, success here before the 10 years. For sure. For sure. I mean, hell it's all been, you know, just, being here for this long in itself is an, is a success. I've been able to only do music for that long. And, um, you know what, if, if you'd have told me I'd be where I'm at now, like, you know, when I moved to Nashville, I've been like, hell yeah, that's great. But as you go, you want more, sure. and you want more, obviously. Um, but yeah, it's, it's all been, I like to call it, uh, a series of no's with little yeses attached, you know, it just kind of one thing led to the other. I was, I remember I was playing for, when I got my publishing deal, I was playing for a label. And the label passed and Troy Tomlinson, uh, who was the head of Sony ATV publishing was at the show as well that night. And he came up after and said, I loved a lot of these songs. Would you want to come in tomorrow? And I did. So the label said no, but I got a publishing deal out of it, you know? And then, then the next few years, I remember turning down record deals. I was getting offered record deals, but I didn't think they were fair. And so I turned those down and that led to, Sirius XM reaching out and wanted me to be a highway find. And then we got some number ones on there and then put famous out and it was, ended up being my first gold record. And so it's, there's, there's been a lot of, a lot of really great times and great success well before the 10 year mark. Um, but it's, it's, uh, it does, it takes really, it takes a while to get really actually going in here. You know, I'll tell you, whiskey's fine is still one of the best songs I've heard in gosh, since I came into country music 15 years ago. Like there's, there's something about that song still to this day, when I hear it, it gives me goosebumps. Like just the, the, I don't know if it's the passion in your voice, whatever it is, but when I hear that song, I'm just like, damn it. That is such a great record. Well, thank you. I think, you know, we still, I still play it every night. It's, it's like uh, we end the show with every night. It's by that still is, one that's of my a favorites closer. to sing. Yeah. You can't, it's like, what do you play after it? You know, it's just one of those songs out of any of my songs, people come up because, you know, I haven't had one go number one at uh, terrestrial radio yet, which has been a lot about timing. And, you know, I signed a deal a month before the world shut down, which was yeah. unfortunate, but um, out of all of them, that's the one people come up to me. They, they, they will come up and be like, dude, how whiskey's fine is not a number one song. I will never in my life know. And that, and, and I think so too, that was the reaction from the day I turned it in until somebody hears it tonight. That's just how it is. But that's the first song I ever put out. Oh, wow. I didn't that's know that literal. That's the first song I put out. Uh, that was the one that made me when I was shopping my music, my first EP, that's the one that the highway said, we want to go with this song and we want it to be a, you want, we want you to be a highway fine. Hmm. So that was pre-record deal, pre-anything. Um, and it was, there's something about, I say it's the first song because there's something about still being pretty naive and still being very kind of green that you say the vocal, I think it is the vocal of that song that gets, that's what, that's what gets people. And I just, I didn't know any better. I didn't know what to do or not to do. I just kind of sang it. And I think there's something really cool about that. I think that's why so often you hear from people, oh, I love the early John Mayer, or I love the early Kings sure. of Leon, or whatever, whoever your favorite band is, because they probably weren't, you know, jaded. They mm-hmm. hadn't had all this time, and they hadn't, you know, there's just been, there was less in the getting in the way of the creative process. And I think it, that's, I've kind of, I, want, I always wonder about that, why everybody says it. And I think that's it, because I think you're just green. You're not, you're not overthinking. You're just, you're doing what you love and you're singing it. And I think that's what that song was for me. 
I, I, I'm glad people tell you that they're surprised it's not a number one song because it is one of a handful of songs that I've heard over the years. And, you know, another one that's a really big one for me that I cannot believe didn't work just like Whiskey's Fine was Jamison Rogers, his song Missing One. I mean, I I just don't understand why that one didn't go anywhere. Like, it's just the radio world that's is such weird, a good man. Song. <laughs> that's such a good song. I, I mean, me and my fiance jam the hell out of that song. We yeah. love Missing One. But I think it was a timing thing. I know. I, it was, you know, it went to radio like four four years after it came out, something like that. Three. Now that's worked before, but we're now in this era of the the viral push. They, yeah. Everything has to be on time and, and all that stuff. People like to say that it doesn't matter, but I think now it actually really does. Like you have to have the momentum of the new release coming out to go to radio, ride that, you know. So yeah, I, I hope people realize that that's not like number one songs don't always go number one because yeah whiskey's finds one but god there's so many great songs that haven't made it up there you know and it doesn't it doesn't it's hard not to think of it as a failure but it really doesn't mean they're not great songs it just there's a lot that had to go right for a song to go number one as you know yeah and i'll tell you from the radio side of things i think as much as it's a crazy time for you to be an artist right now, radio's scared. Radio doesn't know sure. what to do. Like, where are is TikTok taking listeners away? Is Spotify taking listeners away? How do we compete with that? Like, it's a very confusing time for radio, too. So I think another big challenge that artists like yourself face as a newer artist is that a lot of radio stations are just going to dig their heels in and say, if your name isn't Jason, Luke, Blake, Carrie, or Miranda, we're probably not going to play you right now. And I, yeah. I personally don't believe that's the way to go because I think the audience is looking for some new things along with the artists that they're very familiar with. But that's I think radio is just trying to figure out what this landscape means for it. And unfortunately, artists like yourself or Jameson, like, you kind of get stuck there, and it's a shame. It really is. It is. It's tough. And I, I agree with you. Radio you can tell that they're scared and don't really know what to do just like anybody else. I mean, it's, it's like the wild, wild West right now. Yeah. Nobody really knows what to do. I also kind of think that's a bad way to, at least the, we're just going to play these people is a bad way to be because I look at radio and I may be wrong about this, but as a certain generations, uh, Spotify or yeah. Apple or whatever, it's just, it's just the way that that person listens to music. Everybody that I talk to, the reason they love Spotify is because Spotify is doing a really good job at their algorithm, giving them what new music and new artists and yep. stuff like that. That's what people really like most of the time. Um, and I think radio by radio, not playing new music is shooting their, themselves in the foot. That, that's just my opinion. Um, I don't know enough really to have an opinion on radio, but <laughs> I, it, you know, either that or just like everybody should have for an hour, an hour uh, a day or a couple hours a week. Here's the new music segment. See what you think. Let's see. Let's see what you guys like. Which one of these songs is popping off of the here's some new artists. If something pops, maybe we'll move it over to the regular thing. I think that'd be cool. It just it just giving people a chance to hear something new and react to it if they love it. You know, that's that's really all it is. Someone like the newer artists that are going to radio like myself. All I really want is to know if the song worked or did not work. What sucks is when it goes and it doesn't play enough times or in, in, you know, somewhere that's not 3 a.m. in the morning, you know that it actually, it's not even, it's not even tested. It, it didn't fail and it didn't succeed. It didn't have a chance to do either. That's the worst part because you at least want to see, okay, if I put a song out, it gets enough spins to test and it tests badly. That's fine. Pull it. We know it didn't work. We'll try again. 
But when you don't really get the chance to do either, that's what gets frustrating. Uh, so one last thought on what you were just saying is I, I was talking to Mitchell Tenpenny a few years back because he kind of came out with a number one on his first song and then couldn't get a song going after that. And, and he said a very right. similar thing. He was like, dude, I've got 100 songs ready to go. Uh, like he's like, I just need somebody to play it so we can tell if it works. If it doesn't work, scrap it. I got another one ready to go right after that. And we can try something right. else. He's like, but if you don't play it, I never know. And we never even get a chance to find out. Now, thankfully, you and, and guys like Mitchell, like you've got a good touring schedule where you do get a chance to at least try songs out there. But yeah, I mean, radio is the bigger exposure. I mean, that's the chance to get heard by all these people that maybe have never heard your name before. Yeah, me and Mitchell have had many, many talks about this together and you know you know how mitchell is he's, yeah. he's always he's he'll tell you exactly what he thinks all the time but one thing that i remember this is kind of what what gets in the way of how first the, the amount even if it does work the amount of time it takes for a new artist to have their first number one you know with it being like 50 to 70 weeks or whatever it might be what's hard is like we we all grew up in this world where alan jackson and george Strait and you know, we have all these names that are huge right jason aldeans and blake shelton's and they they are only that because radio allowed them to be that mm. and they broke enough songs to make them superstars then you have people like a lee bryce for example like lee in my opinion should be so much bigger than lee is but the time it takes to get those songs to the top it's taking too long. And so I'm saying all that is like, I think they're making it really hard to make new stars. Like who, who's going to be, you have Luke and you have Morgan right now. Sure. They're, they're going to, they're going to do it. But like, who's going to be the whole class of like, have enough songs to actually, and, and in the time period, right. Cause we don't have forever, you know, especially yeah. if you're, if you're breaking when you're 30 years old, you may have like another 10 years or something or however much it is. But I just wish it was happening a little quicker. And that goes back to the, the point of does it work or does it not? If it doesn't, take it off. If it does, play it. That's all. That's it. You know, that's all it needs to be. Like making new stars is going to be a little bit hard. And I feel like you need that within a genre, especially country music. I feel like you need, you know, whoever it might be. You got to keep doing it because you got you got to think people got to keep believing that could be them. Right. You know, when you're coming into the Nashville and just starting out, you want to be so and so. But if no one's breaking. And if it's, I feel like it's gone so song based, you know, it's a song by song instead of artist by artist. And I think that's another negative that I've kind of been seeing too. So hopefully they figure it out. And you know what? There's people selling amphitheaters out without ever having a song on the radio too. So again, it, there's a lot of, there's different ways to do it now. Um, but I still think radio is, is king and I think it's going to be for at least the foreseeable future, especially in country music, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, this is a whole rabbit hole. We can spend a lot of time going down, but I think, you know, to your point, <laughs> right. I think, I think radio is so concerned about its future that it's not looking to the future. Like it's so concerned yeah, about I, its I future that it's holding on to its past as hard as it can. And they're not creating yep. what's going to keep people coming back for more in the future. And that's, that's where I think their biggest oversight is. But yeah, again, we can, yeah, I, I have a lot of thoughts on this, just like you, even though I'm in the world, it, it drives it me is. crazy all the time. <laughs> it's quite a deep rabbit hole. You're right. It is very, very deep. So I do want to talk about the album because you have your debut album out. You've been putting out EPs and singles for so long, but you've got this big project. You just put, I think 18 songs, uh, Barstool Whiskey yeah. Wonderland. So, so tell me about this record. I mean, I've listened to it. I love it, but I want to hear from you what you think about it. Well, first of all, it was just exciting, like you said, to put a project out that wasn't one song at a time or maybe five or six songs at a time um, for me because 
everything that's it's worked up until now, I think has been almost primarily love songs kind of situation. I mean, I've, I've kind of, I was kind of turning into that love song guy. And so it was nice to get a, a record out with some, some missing you songs and some, some breakup with your boyfriend songs and just, you know, some angsty stuff in there too, where you can really get to know me better. I think, I think it's just the response from people, even just the understanding of me and my brand and kind of the lane I'm trying to do musically has been so much better with people having a full record to kind of listen down through. Cause even like, there's been like John Mayer is one of my favorites. Like there's John Mayer songs that come out and I'm like, ah, I don't know about that. But then I hear it in context with the whole album and what he was trying to do. And it makes so much more sense. So I think there's been a lot of that. Um, but it's been really, really cool to hear from everybody about this album. It's been a long time coming um, and people have been asking for one for a while. So it's good to get that out. The title track is probably my favorite title I've written, Barstool Whiskey Wonderland. I freaking love that title. And so we're, we're doing that. We're, we're naming the tour after that as well. Sure. So we're, okay, we're actually making uh, Barstool Whiskey Wonderland snow globes, which are pretty freaking cool. Ooh um yeah it's going to be a vip item for the tour and everything so it's it's there's a lot we can do around it and um some of my favorite stuff's on this record so did you did you have a favorite song on there did you find one yet uh yes uh so i do want one comment about the the globes make sure you put a good show together because if you're giving those out to the vip people ahead of time you don't want them throwing them at you if they don't like the show <laughs> so be prepared i for can't that. imagine that would happen <laughs> Uh, I mean, on the record, I, I think the one that I that I really love the most is Fake Love, because uh, I do think that mm-hmm. anything that you can put Danielle Bradbury on just steps out even more because she's a phenomenal talent as well. So the two of you sound mm-hmm. great together on that one. I, um, I like Drinking It Wrong. I like Hey Drink, uh, Till Dawn Do Us Part. Uh, some really, there's, it's really good. And you know what? I looked, you made a post on Instagram that was like, Hey, tell me what songs you like the most. And I looked through all of the comments. And the thing that stood out to me is that there wasn't one song that everybody was like, this is the jam. There were so many others, like there were a few that kind of had a few more comments than others, but the variety of the songs that people liked, I was like, that to me is a sign of a great record because there isn't just that one song. Everyone found something they liked and they're attracted to it in a different way. And I I think that's a beautiful thing for you. Yeah, I think so too. That's my favorite. I mean, if you can put a record on number one and let it play top down, that's, that's my favorite kind of thing. So that's what, that was the goal with this record. And, yeah, I love that too. People picking different songs. That's sometimes I do wonder. I'm like, would it be easier if there was just one good song on there and everybody <laughs> knew exactly which one we had to go to? <laughs> the way the record kicks off is great too, and, and it reminded me of uh, David Nail put a record out like this too, where like the first song sets the mood. You know, like a, a lot of people put out a song, uh, put on an album, and the first song is either a major hit or it's a banger because they just want to come out swinging right from the top. But what I like about your first song, I can't think of the name of it right now, but the first song just sets the mood for the record. Like you just kind of sit down yeah. you're like, all right, all right, I'm ready for this. Like I'm feeling good about this song right now. Yeah, the, the start of the record was actually not planned that. So Don't It Sound All Right is the first yes. song on the record and it's doing really well. So it, it luckily is also a banger, but it's also like, uh, it, it like lowers my blood pressure, that song. Like it puts me completely at ease. It makes me just kind of take a deep breath. And then the second song, uh, where country music comes from. I wrote that song to be the last song on the record. Oh. And I really, I just really fell in love with that song. And so I got scared. I was like, Oh no, if I put it, if I put it last, like what if people don't listen to, I, w- I want people to hear it. Cause it's one of my favorite songs on yeah. the record. And so I was like, you know what? 
Let's go on number two. So it starts off, Don't It Sound All Right, Where Country Music Comes From, Barstool Whiskey Wonderland, which are like three of my favorite songs on the record. And I thought it was a, it, it all kind of blended together. I thought it was a really nice, listenable start to the record, you know. I don't know if you listened to David Nail at all over his career, but he oh, put, yeah. put an album out called It's About to Come Alive. That was like his first big album. And the first song on that record, that's the kind of vibe that I was feeling when I was listening to yours. The first song on his is called Mississippi. And it just it just sets that mood when you turn it on. You're like, okay, I can sit back. I'm ready. Like, bring it on. Give yeah. me everything else. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm a big David Nail fan. He's one of my, I wish he was still doing more because I love his voice. He, uh, that I think the one I listened to the most was Sound of a Million Dreams yeah. record. Uh, he's got a song on there called Songs for Sale that oh. I just freaking love. Yes. What a song that is. I've thought about re-recording it. Um, I support that yeah, decision. He's, he's one of my favorites. Yeah, maybe I will. We'll see. <laughs> uh, so tour coming up next year, a big tour. You're going all across the country. I think it was like 20 or 30 dates or something. You're all over the place. Yeah. And you've got Alana Springsteen coming out with you, who is another amazing talent. So good for you for grabbing her for that because she's incredible. Uh, tell me about this tour. What can people expect? Everywhere we go. I feel like, you know, I've, I'm not one of these people with like six songs out. Like I've got like yeah. 20, 30, 25, 30 songs out that people want to hear every night. So every night we, we, we end up, I have to leave something out and people come out every night and they're like, why didn't you play this? Why didn't you play this? Why didn't you play this? And, I, and I'm like one of these people that actually cares. I'm yeah. like, oh shit, like, damn it. You came all the way here. I didn't play your favorite song. Like my reaction to that is like, what are you doing right now? Can you come backstage? I'll just play it for you right quick. Like, I want people to hear what they want to hear. But this tour, we can actually do that. And it's the first time that I, you know, I, the backdrop, the stage set, the I can roll pianos out and play a couple songs on piano and roll it back off stage. And I can actually do the show that I would like to do that I've had in my head for the last couple of years. Um, so I think, you know, a lot of detail, a lot of really special moments, I think it's going to be really cool um, the way that we orchestrate this this whole entire set. And I... With it being called Barstow Whiskey Wonderland, I, I just think it should be, you know, an experience. I think it should be more than just show up, go to show. Um, so I'm, I'm going to really dive into the details of not only the show, but the VIP before the show. And, and all that. like, that's another thing. We've always been like, all right, what room are we going to use for the VIP in this venue? Because we were opening and the headliner was using the stage, you know. Now it's, now it's ours and we can do exactly how we want to do it. So that's what I'm most excited about is just to be able to put on the show that I've dreamed up. I've had dreamed up in my head for years now. So I've got a lot of cool, cool details and cool things to throw in there uh, for, for next year. Well, Adam Doliak, uh, first of all, I really appreciate your time to hang out and tell you more of your story and learn more about you. I love that. You were one of my last shows prior to the pandemic coming uh, I saw you at CRS. You were performing there um, with Tennille Towns and a couple other artists, I think, on there, too. Yeah. And uh, I vividly remember that room at the Country Music Hall of Fame building and everything. Like, I just remember that performance so strongly, probably because it was one of the last things that I did before getting shut down for yeah. like two years. But uh, but I can't wait to see this tour. You're coming to D.C., which is close by for me, so I'm going to try to catch that show. Um, but, yeah, man, I, I just appreciate everything that you're doing and keep up the good work. Thank you. Funny story about Please. DC, the Hamilton. The yeah. Hamilton is uh, where we're playing there. So my first tour ever was the Highway Finds tour with me, Ashley McBride, and High Valley. Mm. I don't know if you remember High Valley. Yeah, yeah. But I vividly, I'd never been on a tour in my life, like a proper tour. And I, I walked in, Hamilton was the first stop of that tour. And I walked in, and I don't know how well you know Ashley McBride, but or if you've seen her show, but yeah. she is 
incredible live. I mean, she sounds so freaking good. So I walked in mid sound check and she's up there and I'm like, I'm, I'm listening to them. I'm like, holy shit, I better be on my game tonight because they sound really, really great. And she's even better off stage. We, we, she's one of the, my favorite humans in Nashville. But um, that night, something happened. And my vo- I lost my voice at the Hamilton. I'm like mid-chorus on the second song of my set. And my guitar player, Spencer Wasdorp, he like had to start singing choruses for me because I lost my freaking voice. And I just remember being so excited because that's such a cool little venue. And I was really stoked to play it. And then I couldn't, I basically, I, I made it through the show, but it was not, <laughs> it was not great. So I've been waiting on a, a second chance to play the Hamilton. So DC needs to show back up because we're going to do it correctly this time. I love that you get the make good. I love that. Yeah, got, I've been waiting on it. It's been <laughs> since 2017. So I had to really wait on it, but here we go. Adam socials. It's, <laughs> it's just Adam Doliak everywhere, right? Yeah, Adam Doliak everywhere. Uh, I think it's Adam Doliak Music on Twitter. Uh, But yeah, there's only one Doliak out there. So you type it in, you'll find it. Well, Adam, uh, (laughs) such a pleasure. If I don't talk to you before the wedding, I hope it all goes well. And congratulations to you and your fiance. I'm excited to see photos from the big day when they pop up. Thank you, man. I appreciate you having me today. I enjoyed talking with you. Thank you to Adam Doliak for his time this week. His new album, Barstool Whiskey Wonderland, is available now, and it's fantastic. Also, don't forget to catch Adam on tour next year. I promise it's going to be a great show and a really good night out. Thank you to all of you for your time. Until next week, be well.